One, two, three. Welcome to Three Song Stories, the show that uses the way songs sometimes become bound to specific moments in our lives as an engine for conversation. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this week is Jasmine Hunter. Jasmine grew up in Montana and then the D.C. metro area before going away to college at Stevenson University outside of Baltimore. Life changes and the desire to be close to family led her first to Tampa Bay and then Fort Myers, where she's lived for about a year. Although she is still relatively new to Southwest Florida, she says she quickly fell in love with the community here and became passionate about creating connection-based events. Her bio says she made it her personal mission to disprove the myth that Fort Myers is boring. Her latest attempt in that effort comes in the form of what's called So Far Sounds. She's the new and first ever city curator. So Far Sounds is a global movement dedicated to creating intimate concerts featuring local artists in non-traditional settings. While this is not her day job, she works in HR, and she's not a musician herself. She says her experience as a, quote, designated audience member and deep desire to be in the room where music happens makes this a perfect fit. Hi there, Jasmine. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you for doing this. No problem. I'm so excited to be here. So when I emailed you and you emailed back, you said something like, I may or may not have been thinking up my three songs for a while. So you've heard the show before? Yes, I am a big fan of the show. Uh, This is my NPR when I'm in the car and pull up to the house. If your show is on, I am sitting in my driveway waiting until you have wrapped up. I don't want to get ahead of it because we will get to your songs. But uh, had you come, did any of the songs who you that you may have been considering before wind up on the final list, or once you know the rubber hit the road, did you end up with all new songs? So majority of my songs are going to be songs that have been on the list, kind of knocking around in my head. Okay. Um, my third song is uh, one that actually connects to a recent moment, kind of a new moment. Okay. So that one's a little bit more improvised. But okay. the other two, I've been working on these for a while, just awesome. waiting for your email. <laughs> awesome. I'm glad it's happened. Um, so uh, your bio says you grew up splitting time between Montana and the D.C. metro area. So yeah. how would you characterize the music? musical background of your childhood with those two places in mind? Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. Um, My family is a blend in the first place. Uh, My mother immigrated from Liberia, West Africa uh, when she was in her early teens, kind of her tween years. And my father's family is several generations back, just typical American. We go all the way back to the Salem witch trials. Wow. Yeah. So um, when you imagine that blend in a household, I think that kind of represents how my my home was and the music that I was hearing. Um, I had a lot of um, kind of pop from the 80s going on, a lot of that Cyndi Lauper, Tina Turner right. um, kind of vibe. Uh, from my dad's side, it was a lot of more rock. We were Metallica household. <laughs> and interestingly enough, what was really brought to me was um, more of the Beatles. I don't really remember my dad listening to the Beatles on his own, but he would make me like little mix CDs. Huh. And um, I would listen to, you know, Rocky Raccoon. 
um, which now I listen to it and I'm like, why were you giving your six-year-old this music? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he was setting some groundwork for you. Yeah, yeah. But um, that was kind of what my household was like. Both my parents played instruments, but we didn't have like family jam sessions or anything like that. It was really um, more on the consumer side of music. Montana, D.C. Those are two different places. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So um, my family lived in Montana until I was uh, going into middle school. And then uh, we lived in D.C. uh, my middle school years into my high school years. And musically, very different places. Yeah. Um, I sometimes have occasion to call out um, to uh, businesses in Montana, and their hold music is literally – country, western, um, just generic country western, we'll say. (laughs) And um, that's very symbolic of kind of what's going on there, Uh what the music scene was like. The D.C. Metro, um, when I moved there, my eyes got so big um, and my ears must have got bigger uh, because I was suddenly exposed to a lot of musical differences. Um, There was a much deeper hip-hop scene there. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, DC Metro actually has uh, strong roots in go-go music. Hmm. Um, And uh, my high school, for example, instead of putting on a homecoming dance, they put on a go-go. Wow. Where they played, you know, that Afrobeats hip-hop music, and we all enjoyed it, and it was a good time. Um, So definitely differences in the two, but I think it really informed my musical tastes, being able to merge them together. I did a little data crunching because I thought this would be interesting. There are roughly 1.1 million people in Montana, which works out to 7.8 people per square mile. There are 5.5 million people in the D.C. metro area that works out to 986 people per square mile. So you must have been kind of shocked by the population density, too. Yeah, it was definitely a big difference um, when you are in – I grew up in Bozeman. So Bozeman, Montana is a town that's an hour and a half from the next nearest town. And you kind of have everything that you need in the town, but you can go out and play and not really run into too much of anybody. Mm-hmm. The D.C. Metro, everything is so crammed in there. Um, I remember when we first got there, we'd drive for 15 minutes down the road, and I'd say, oh, well, what, what town are we in now? And we'd cross through two. Um, so definitely a difference in just the way that things are structured, uh-huh. the number of people. Um, I learned to wait in lines <laughs> in the D.C. metro area. Um, so you're, you're completely right. Definitely some, some huge population ish, uh, differences. So if I ask you to try to recall an early musical memory, what pops into your head? Um, so I think probably the earliest musical memory is um, I have this, this big – mane of hair, right? And when I was little, it was bigger. So I would wake up and my hair would be just standing on end, you know, bedhead as one gets. And my mom would say, she looks just like Tina Turner. And then um, she would have me sing and dance for the relatives, whoever was over, uh, what's love got to do with it in the living room. And uh, that's probably my earliest memory of just music, connecting with uh, just joy in, in the family. Were you cool with that? You know, I was cool like, with it. you like, you know, get up there and dance. <laughs> <laughs> yes, dance, monkey, dance. Um, I was good with it. Um, 
when it comes to those family performances, I think you're good with it until a certain age. Yeah. So I was cool with it until I was about six. And then it was like, Mom, we need to retire the the Tina Turner act. Uh, it's it's done. Were there any musical instruments being played around you or did you play any? So I unfortunately do not play any musical instruments. Um, I tried. My family is a clarinet family. Okay. <laughs> which is uh, translates into my family didn't have a lot of money. We already owned a clarinet because my mom played the clarinet. You had a clarinet. You yes. were a clarinet <laughs> <Yes>. family. <laughs> we were a single clarinet household. Um, so we already had the clarinet, right? So my older sister played clarinet uh, when it was time for um, that band sign up. Uh, I really wanted to play the flute. And my mom signed me up for clarinet because we were a clarinet family. Mm-hmm. And I got through hot cross buns, decided woodwinds were not for me, and uh, ended up not picking up uh, any other instruments past that, something I kind of regret. Do you remember the first time you saw music performed live? So I do. And it actually was probably much later in my life than uh, probably average folks are seeing music performed live. I think that the first time I was in a space where live music was being performed was my freshman year of college. Mm. Yeah. Um, uh, And it was at the fair. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And so I I saw Weezer at the fair. And it was, now that I look back at it, I'm like, very interesting. (laughs) Uh, Interesting set of circumstances. But uh, yeah, I saw Weezer at the Maryland Fair um, my freshman year in college. And I was I was pretty hooked. Um, Having not experienced kind of being in the room with live music before, being in that space and yes, hearing wonderful music and um, getting to um, kind of have that input was phenomenal. But I think the piece that I really took away was how connected everyone in the room was. Um, There is something so special about being around a bunch of people who are just as passionate about what is going on on stage as you are. And listening to them kind of sing along to the music, um, really engage with the music, all dance kind of on beat to the music. Yeah, yeah. Um, and really be in that in that moment and share that experience. That's really special. That's a little teaser for something that we, you're doing now, which is the reason you got my attention. We'll, we'll get back to that. Okay. Let's do your first song now. Okay. Cat Stevens song. Yeah. Um, and I'll I'll talk a little bit about it. Tell the story first, if that's sure, okay. Sure. Absolutely. So, uh, like I mentioned, my family didn't really have a ton of money when I was growing up. And uh, so having my own stereo system in my room was not really something that uh, came naturally. It's kind of a luxury for us. We had the family stereo in the living room, but um, I wanted my own. And uh, when I was about seven or eight, I'd saved up a bunch of money from birthdays and family, um, kind of extended family stuff and doing little odd jobs around the neighborhood and stuff. And my parents took me to a pawn shop and bought me, um, or I bought, I guess, uh, a stereo. So I had uh, my three-part cassette CD and um, my uh, record player on the top there. And... The thing about uh, spending all of your life savings as a seven-year-old on a stereo (laughs) is you don't really have much money for CDs. 
So I would steal my parents' CDs, and that's what I would play and listen to in my room. And one of their CDs that they had, they'd actually inherited from my grandfather when he passed. And he passed when I was younger, um, like five. But this CD was uh, one of his favorites, and it was one that we played in the house and, and really connected with him through. So I remember listening to uh, Cat Stevens, T for the Tillerman, kind of on repeat. And a song that really stuck with me and still sticks with me now is Wild World. Hmm. Picture, uh, paint us a picture of what your bedroom looked like where you would have been listening to this. Yeah. So I shared a bedroom with my younger sister, four years younger than me. I'm such a middle child. Um, and so you've middle got, childs are the best. Yes. Oh, also a middle <laughs> yeah, child. Yeah. I see it. Only middle children know that middle children are the best. Um, but uh, we shared a bedroom and it was, uh, you know, two twin beds um, lining either side of the room, kind of an aisle in the middle with a dresser. And there was space for um, my stereo and um, a one of those box TVs. And that was uh, that was kind of the setup of the room. Every once in a while, my sister would pull all of her toys out of the toy box and spread them all over the room. Um, but other than that, pretty standard setup there. While you were laying around listening to Cat Stevens. Exactly. Well, let's listen to this. I love Cat Stevens. Every time one of his songs comes up on the show, I'm like, I need to listen to more Cat Stevens because I love Cat Stevens. This is Wild World by Cat Stevens uh, from his 1970 album T for the Tillerman. This is three song stories biography through music. It's Jasmine Hunter's first song today. What were you thinking about while we were listening to that? I was just thinking it's so interesting because that song doesn't have necessarily a um, a forthright positive uplifting message, right? It's Cat Stevens claims it's not about a breakup, but we all know it's about a breakup. <laughs> um, so it, it does have um, kind of that, that bittersweet note to it. But it's so interesting because for me in my life, that song has kind of become kind of like a, a fight song. Huh. Um, you know, when something challenging is going on, that song really is a song that I, I can go to and I can listen. And I feel better and I feel empowered afterwards. And um, I don't know if that's because of kind of the connection to my grandfather or it's just so comforting to me. But, um, yeah, I was thinking it's just it's interesting that that song uh, is for me a fight song, even though <laughs> that's not necessarily the uh, the intended message. Do you think you were listening to the lyrics when you were that young? Because, I mean, it's, it's a very catchy song, just like if you didn't even speak English, it would probably be a, a pleasant song to listen to, you know? So... I'm going to say I, I don't think that I was internalizing the lyrics when I was that young. I think that I was I was listening and I was uh, singing along, of course, and kind of getting it. But um, I don't think that I was fully digesting it, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, it's a it's kind of a an abstract message for a little kid. But I also know when I was seven or eight, I was. I was um, a little precocious, so <laughs> um, I identified best with Eeyore. So um, I, I, you mean from the Pooh universe? Oh yeah, that okay. was me. That was me. Yes, yes. So um, you know, I was I was very much a a deep kid. So I don't know that I was fully um, 
understanding the lyrics, but I it definitely was connecting with them and, and taking them um, to mean, hey, you're you're safe and you're protected and just be careful out there in the world. Have you kept up with his music at all? I know he's still making music. So I haven't. It's it's really interesting because that album in particular is such a time capsule for me and is so meaningful to me. And uh, I think that Cat Stevens is a wonderful artist. Uh, definitely, um, I identify with what you said about needing to listen to more Cat Stevens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think for me, that album is so much about that time in my life. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily that I am a Cat Stevens fan. Sure. Yeah, I think yeah. maybe I'm more of a T for the Tillerman fan. Yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Um, what was the first uh, CD then that you wound up being able to get of your own or the first music that you didn't have to borrow from your folks? So I knew you were going to ask this question. And uh, – I really had to think about um, whether or not I was going to answer truthfully, but we'll go okay. with the truth because it's it's very embarrassing. Um, my first uh, cassette that I bought was uh, from a Salvation Army bin, and it was Pump Up the Jam. Oh yeah, yeah, and it was um, it was the single version was of the salt cassette. Salt and pepper? No. Who, who, um, pump up the jam. Who did pump up the jam, Jared? I can hear it in my head. Yeah, I don't know actually. Technotronic. Technotronic. I don't even know if nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, that was my junior year of high school. I definitely remember that. Two song. House <laughs> to Handle is the album. Yes, yes. Um, Technotronic, the household name. <laughs> um, but I remember, um, it, it, and again, it was the cassette with it, it had like that song and maybe one other, and then you would flip the the cassette and you had the remixes. Because that song clearly needs a remix. Yeah, sure. I bet there are a million remixes. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, and that was the first cassette that I bought. And um, it's just so funny to me uh, thinking about that because, um, you know, Kid Jasmine was so melancholy. And uh, just <laughs> imagining that that kid fist pumping around uh, that bedroom um, really brings a smile to my face. I'm just picturing Eeyore with a pair of headphones on listening to Pump Up the Jam. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> that was pretty much it. <laughs> uh, um, so you had moved to D.C. by the time or did you start high school when you were in D.C.? Yes. Where did you fit in in the world of high school? So... That is an interesting question. Um, I'm still figuring out where I fit in in the world of high school. I was very much an always joiner. So if there was something that they needed help with um, on my high school campus, I was raising my hand and I was probably doing that. And that led to, you know, I used to announce the football games. I used to be the wrestling um wrestling manager. So, you know, I mopped all those mats. Um, I did um, a short stint twirling a baton with the band. Um, I was my class president. Uh, I kind of, by virtue of being in so many things, really floated around. Um, That being said, I went to high school in the early to mid 2000s. So, um, when we zoom out, you can very categorically put me in the place of that emo pump punk pop kid. Um, and that was very much at least my my look and my taste uh, during those high school years. Did you organize any school dances as your engaged self? 
Yeah, you know, I did not organize any of the school dances. That is one thing that never fell into my lap. And now that I would have said yes, though, I would have I would have been right there. Um, Yeah, I don't actually know how that never fell into my lap, but I I ended I never ended up being the person in charge of that. Hmm. Did you do any artsy stuff in school in high school? So my high school did not have a ton of arts, uh, unfortunately. Academically rigorous. Um, So more I went to high school in um, Oxon Hill, Maryland, and it is a suburb of D.C., not necessarily the most funded area. Oh, okay. And um, it's interesting because I was part of a small program in uh, within my school of about 250 students who were dedicated to really studying science and technology. Those um, spaces had kind of the funding, but the broader school didn't have um, much by way of arts. We did have a band. Um, but we already talked about the yeah, clarinet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. yeah. <laughs> the <laughs> um, clarinet. Yes, the clarinet. <laughs> um, but uh, we did have a band, but we didn't have, you know, theater. We didn't have a really big arts program. We didn't have photography or, or really any of those pieces. The closest we came to, to was uh, we had a screen printing class, which I did take and participate in. But unfortunately, we didn't have much by way of um, arts within our school. Did you get to go into like like you know I grew up in Florida we got to go to Tallahassee and go sit in the legislative chamber did you do that sort of thing with the federal government So not so much um within school um I am sorry mom uh, I'm sure she'll listen to this later but I used to skip school all the time Ah. And um, we were close is enough. This break, to, is this breaking news for mom right now? I'm pretty sure she knew. <laughs> she got the calls wondering where Jasmine was. Um, but uh, we were close enough to uh, D.C. And D.C. is such a commutable uh, city that we would hop on the metro and we would go just spend the day at the Smithsonian. Uh. So not so much the field trips uh, going there uh, sanctioned by the school, but we took our own field trips um, and would go into the city and and check out the museums and really uh, hang out in those spaces. If you're going to skip school, going to the Smithsonian is like the least offensive thing from a parental perspective. Yeah, don't worry, Mom. It could have been worse. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I was going to say, see, Mom, um, I've got approval. Mike (laughs) says it's okay. Uh, What were you heading toward in your head in terms of like, you know, because you went away to college and like a little ways north from there. Like, where were you thinking you were like preparing yourself for when you were in high school and heading toward college? So I planned on pursuing uh, a degree in counseling. Um, really was. Fit in with your helper self. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> I really uh, just enjoyed uh, talking to people. I enjoy uh, still to this day problem solving and uh, just felt like a space that connected with me. So uh, I did enter school pursuing a degree in psychology, actually graduated with a psychology degree, um, but I decided not to pursue uh, furthering my education uh, to get the master's and additional things that would be required for me to go into counseling. Why did you go? Go to was it Stevenson University? Yeah, so that's kind of a funny story. It's kind of a suburb of Baltimore. Yes, yes, it very much is a suburb of Baltimore. Um, if you meet anyone who lives in Owings Mills, where the school is located, they will say that they live in Baltimore. 
Um, that is a trick. If you ever meet somebody who says they're from Baltimore, ask them where in Baltimore. Because if you're in the Baltimore County, you claim to be from Baltimore, but Baltimore City is much, much smaller. Um, so, yeah, I, I decided to go to Stevenson because it was close to home is kind of the long and short of it. Um, the reason I say it's a funny story is because I was uh, the middle child. I was the adventurer. I was the one everyone was sure was going to go super far away. I think I only applied to two colleges that were close to home. And um, one of them was Stevenson. I think the other one was UMBC. And um, my parents never anticipated I would choose the college that I got accepted to close to home. They thought I was going to take one of the ones that was a little further away. And so I, I brought them my acceptance letter. I said, you know, I think I'm going to go to Stevenson. And they said, oh, we were planning to move to Florida. <laughs> so <laughs> I chose Stevenson because of the proximity. And uh, it turned out uh, all being for naught. They they moved down here uh, the summer before my freshman year. Oh, so you wound uh, so So you did go away far for school. They, exactly. they just had to make that. Possible. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, they they knew that I wanted to be an out of state student, so you know they just made those dreams come true. Any musical associations from your time in college, concerts, that sort of thing? So I was um, actually a radio host. Oh, really? Um, yes, I had three like college radio station. Yeah, college radio station. Um, our radio station was just getting started. Um, so very very small team. And I used to do uh, mashups, which, depending on the day, sometimes I'm still a fan. Other times, I can't stand them. Um, those pieced together songs using samples of all kinds of other songs. Um, and sometimes they make sense. Sometimes they don't. Um, so I would spend my radio hour playing uh, mashups. Um, Girl Talk and Super Smash Bros. Would you prepare Super those? Super Smash Bros. Yeah. Oh, oh. Would you prepare those in advance or would you just roll the dice and try to smash some songs live on the radio? So the sad thing is I really did prepare in <laughs> advance. Um, and the reason I say it's sad is because I'm pretty sure I had three dedicated listeners. Um, one of them was definitely like my sorority sisters. Another one of them was definitely the dining hall. So um, I, I really did prepare. I really did bring my A game. But uh, in retrospect, it was not necessarily what the people wanted. I wish college radio stations still do. Do they still do that? We don't do that. I'm a part of uh, the college radio station here at FGCU, Eagle Radio. We don't do that. I wish we did that. Yeah, then we need to get back to our roots. Yeah. You know, just like real, like a human being with a microphone yeah. talking about music to people. Like that seems so novel, but it doesn't really exist. Well, I anymore. would listen. You have at least, I mean, one third of the number of listeners that I had right here. I'll be a dedicated listener. Did you have like a DJ host name? I did. I was DJ Jazzy J. Mm, okay. Did you ever watch The Wire? How's that for a weird segue? Um. So, <laughs> having lived in Baltimore, <laughs> I am supposed to have watched The Wire. Oh, you haven't? It's so I started, but I don't know if I was just. Uh, busy during the time when I I started. I don't know if it just you know I wasn't set up right. I couldn't finish the first couple of episodes and I fell off. It is a slow burn. And Richard Chinqui, co-creator of the show, has a rule that you got to finish by – you got to get through three episodes of The Wire. If okay. you give up before the end of the third episode, you, you're not giving it enough time. Okay. 
Do you guys know that Family Guy bit about The Wire and Breaking Bad? Mm, no. No, it's uh, Peter Griffin. It's like saying Breaking Bad is one of the best TV shows of all time other than The Wire. And then goes on a whole rant of why The Wire is like one of the greatest shows of all time. It is. I agree with Peter Griffin on that. All right. I feel like I have completely slighted The Wire. I need to jump back into it. I just recently rewatched it. Okay. So I feel like I know Baltimore. Uh, you know, you probably from that, probably kind of from do. the eerie from the era like you would have been going to school there. That's about when it's set. So. Yeah. Well, so I've had many people um, recommend The Wire to me. Many people try to talk to me about The Wire, um, and it was cool. It's the- one of the only things I know about Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> You've pretty much got it. If you saw The Wire, you've got it. Um, But uh, yeah, so um, I I think from the the half episode that I got through, definitely was cool to see those familiar surroundings. Maybe I just need to give it a chance. I'll hop back into it. Hmm. Did you ever do any radio after that radio experience in college or was that just the the long and short of it? Oh, I think that was my fill. I think – I think probably to the benefit of of mankind, I never stepped back into the radio space. What about making mashups? So I have never actually made my own mashups. I've never gotten into them. Oh, so you were wielding other people's. I was. I was. Yes, that's what I was up to. Um, I was playing kind of established mashup artists. Um, playing their music. And it really was, again, now you're getting why only the three listeners. Um, it was uh, something that I I found that I enjoyed, kind of that sample-based music. And I introduced a couple of my friends to it. And we all kind of liked it. And I was like, this needs to be on the radio. I, I need a show right now. Well, we've talked enough about mashups and The Wire. Let's do your second song. Okay, cool. This is the uh, Morning Wood song. Yes. So uh, this song is Nth Degree, and it is 100% the song of my youth. When I was 17, I got this uh, very used uh, Subaru Legacy, and uh, it was like a 1992, so super small, (laughs) and we would fit like seven people in that car somehow, and uh, we would just all get in and go. Again, sorry, mom. Sometimes skipping school, um, going to the Smithsonian. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> only going to the metro parking lot and then to the Smithsonian because nobody has money to park downtown in DC. Um, so uh, we we would just kind of cram the car full, and this was one of our favorite songs to listen to in the car. And I think one of the reasons it sticks out to me is because, again, that was such a pop punk era. And there was so much music in that space that we were consuming just by virtue of it being on the radio. And that was the very beginning of YouTube. So we were getting kind of exposed that way and through MySpace and all of those 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 spaces. Um, so this song not being um, directly, you know, a, a strong pop punk song um, sticks out to me. And I don't know who in our friend group introduced it. Um I don't really remember the origin story of it, but I remember driving down the highway way too fast, way too many people in the car, and uh, kind of singing along. Were you playing it on a CD or a cassette? Because if it was a 92 Outback or Legacy, it probably may not have had a CD player yet. So it had a cassette <laughs> player, um, but we um, 
back in those days, you could get like a cassette player. That oh, had the it cord. jumps out to your little mega bass, little CD player skipper thing. Yes. Um, so it was uh, connecting to my iPod. Oh, fancy. Yes. So I did. I did have an iPod at that point. Yes. Um, okay. What a mashup of uh, technologies that was. Right. Right. <laughs> it was a little jerry rigged, um, but uh, it worked, and that's that's what we would uh, would be playing this on. Well, let's listen to it. Imagining you driving into DC in your. Subaru. <laughs> I'm on my second Subaru now. I love them. Um, this is Jasmine Hunter's second song here on Three Song Stories. This is Nth Degree by Morningwood from their self-titled album released in 2006. This is Three Song Stories biography through music. It's a pretty bold branding move for a band to spell their name over and over again in the song. It's good. <laughs> well, so I was thinking about this actually as I was uh, getting ready to come in today and I'm wondering if maybe part of the appeal for us as 17-year-olds was just the uh, the boldness of a band named Morningwood. Yeah, 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 I'm yeah. I'm pretty sure we had some <laughs> giggles over that. Um, but, uh, yeah, my the part that brings forth the boldest memories is definitely that spelling piece. Um, that is when the entire car would lose control. We would all be shouting and fists in the air and uh, really bring it home. You know, if you made like a like – a, a- teen road trip movie that would be a great montage song like i could picture a montage of we were a bunch literally of... just talking about that see see or like, just like me. <laughs> you were saying like um an early 2000s disney movie like freaky friday or something uh, or like a um a morning getting ready for school montage changing clothes and stuff too you know yeah yep. yeah that's exactly what that song was made for i need uh to see that come to life now it's a shame you guys weren't like filming yourselves you could have that well, so that's the thing. Or does thing. that exist somewhere? <laughs> you know, maybe I do have, because um, remember, we didn't have cameras in our phones uh, at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, maybe there is an old um, you know, portable hard drive with, with some videos and pictures of that time somewhere mm-hmm. in my storage. Got to mm-hmm. ask my parents uh, to dig through their, their storage in their, uh, their downstairs. Besides preparing for this show, when was the last time you listened to that song? So it had actually been a little while. Um, I was on a road trip with my sister. Uh, She was in a wedding in Gatlinburg. And for whatever reason, we decided to drive um, just through the night to get up to that wedding. And we got started talking about just different music that we we enjoyed um, when we were younger and just kind of the music that we used to play um, through our teen years. And we created this playlist called our Stream of Consciousness playlist. So we'd listen to a song and say, you know what this song reminds me of? This song. And uh, the last time we listened to this song was um, was during that road trip. Uh, it's actually been oh, a, a while. It's been a couple of years now. Um, so I remember playing it for her on that road trip. And uh, her first uh, remark was, you know, every word to this song. <laughs> and then I kind of had to explain to her, well, this is a, a core piece of uh, of my life uh, in during my teen years. And so when I sent you the email inviting you to be on the show, you thought, I get to listen to Nth Degree again. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I was like, I've been waiting for the day. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you, you know, your bio says you headed to Florida to follow family. But now I know it's because your folks moved down here here right before you went away to college. Yep. They moved to Tampa first or they moved to Tampa. So my family lived in um, Fort Myers and Cape Coral 
ever since I um, I went to college. Okay. Those, um, so they came here. Gotcha. Yes, yes. So they came down here. I initially moved to Tampa. Um, I wanted to be shouting distance but not poking distance. So Tampa was mm-hmm. just kind of the perfect sure. distance. Um, and then uh, last year, uh, it's been just a little over a year now, I finally gave in and I was like, fine, I'll, I'll move down. And now I live five minutes away from my parents. So you probably visited them during your college years. What were your first impressions of Fort Myers, if you can think back? Um, so during my college years, they were on the Cape. And... I remember coming down here and uh, it being winter vacation and such a difference between Baltimore where you could um, at 11 – 30 at night say, oh, you know what? I want to go catch a movie and go to the the late movie. Um, Coming down here uh, compared to that was a little bit of an adjustment, especially the Cape. Um, I remember going to uh, 7-Eleven in the middle of the night just because I was like, I got to got to do something at midnight. There's got to be something to do. So it's a little bit uh, sleepy and a little bit of an adjustment during my college years to come down here. It was kind of um, I felt like I was uh, I was hibernating a little bit when I was down here on break. What about the the difference between having lived in Tampa, St. Pete, that area and now being here? So. It's very interesting. Um, when I lived in Tampa, people would ask me, would you ever move down to Fort Myers to be near your family? And for the longest time, I said, no, that's that's just not really in the cards. I'm such a big city girl. And then I started coming down to Fort Myers and actually doing things. Um, so I would come down on the night when Music Walk was or Art Walk or some of the different festivals that are going on downtown. And I realized... Fort Myers has a lot to offer, Uh, kind of the perfect balance between that big city feel and um, also having um, few enough people that you've got kind of a small town vibe as well. Uh, So Fort Myers grew on me. At first, I was such a Tampa girl, but I think maybe just time and actually getting to experience the city and a lot of the growth that's happening here kind of led me into uh, really embracing it. And now I like Fort Myers more than I like Tampa. Uh, definitely the uh, the bar scene and being able to bar crawl and, and just explore different areas is much better down here. The important question is WGCU or WUSF? WGCU all the way. <laughs> <laughs> did you listen to the uh, to their to the NPR station up I there? I definitely presumably? did. Yes, yes. Um, no matter where I go, I'm, I'm an NPR fan. Um, so I always have a preset for NPR wherever I am locally. Um, but I'm going to say, and this is not just because I'm Fort Myers biased. Uh, you guys take the cake. You you win in that competition. Jessica Mazaros worked here for years. Oh, I really? used to work with Jessica. Okay. Yeah. She won't do this show, I've asked her. Um, <laughs> so the reason that you did send us an email and the reason you got my attention is because of So Far Sounds. Yeah. Stands for Songs from a Room. Mm-hmm. I did my research. Um, a, how did you come across it to begin with? And then we'll talk about you know what it is and what it's doing here. Yeah. So um, if it's okay with you, I'll tell you about <laughs> How I came across it and then also how I got involved because it's kind of all Absolutely, a, no. a seamless story. So um, when I was in Tampa, I, I did hear of So Far There. I'd seen some of their ads on social media and I never ended up actually attending a show in Tampa before I moved to Fort Myers. 
But um, I did attend a show when I was actually out of town uh, last year. In September, I went to go visit my grandparents in Philadelphia. Ah. And um, it seems like a bold choice to decide, you know what, I'm buying tickets to a show when I'm visiting my grandparents. Um, And no, I didn't get them tickets. I thought about it. I should have bought grandma and grandpa a ticket, right? Um, But uh, while I was in Philadelphia, I realized that uh, these concerts that I'd heard about, these small intimate shows were happening coincidentally while I was in town. And I do try when I travel to experience the local music scene, pick up a show, whatever I can do. So I went to uh, that show. It was in an apartment building with retail on the ground floor. And the retail hadn't been built out yet. So when my Uber dropped me off, I was pretty sure I was dropped off in an abandoned, right, <clears throat> under construction portion of Philly. You were like, I hope this is going to turn out. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> well, and you know, I don't know the neighborhoods in Philly. I was like, I hope I'm in a good part of town. I don't know. Uh-huh. So, um, I, you know, I arrived and uh, the instruction said, yeah, get on the elevator. Very cryptic. And uh, I got on the elevator. It took me to the rooftop and... When the doors opened, I realized there's a show going on here. Um, There were three local artists all sharing their original music. And it was a small enough group that everyone was really engaged and really sharing that moment. And um, one of the artists who I heard that night, I was able to go up to him right after and say, "Okay, so when's your album coming out? What's your new music? You know, you've got an immediate fan um, and able to have that connection in a way that you don't necessarily have in larger format shows. And uh, so I really fell in love just with the format and the sharing of space in Philadelphia. and. when I came back down to Fort Myers, I sent a message to so far. Because they're a global thing. Yeah, they are a global thing. They're, they're not in, just a Philly Fort Myers thing. There's there's like 400 venues or, or yeah. 400 um, chapters or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. They're in over 400 cities. Um, so folks are doing this all over the place. And um, so I reached out to them and I said, hey, I'd love to join your Fort Myers team. Keyword here is join your Fort Myers team, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, they, they said, were like, congratulations, Fort Myers team. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they said, great, you can be the team. <laughs> and um, when I say uh, my first response was, oh, oh, no. And then I thought about it. And I think the always joiner came out a little bit. And I was like, I could do this. I could probably do this. And uh, now a couple months later, um, we're putting on shows and um, – Really being able to create those moments uh, similar to the one that I fell in love with. You had your first one on January 11th? Yes, I did. Downtown Fort Myers where? So we actually hosted out of a bookstore, Blinking Owl Books. It's the new bookstore on West First Street behind Publix. Yeah, yeah. Um, I live in that general area. Okay, yes, yes. So um, indie bookstores are just so important and uh, great in the the first place. And um, the owner there happened to be willing to take the leap. Um, So far, usually hosts in non-traditional music venues. Um, Usually the way that I'm picking where I'm going to host something is I think – would they typically have music here? And if the answer is no, it's probably a good location for me. So um, hosting out of that bookstore was was unique. It was really nice and cozy. It's a great space in there. And um, yeah, that's where our first show was. Who was the artist or artists? Yeah, so we had three artists. Uh, we had CJ Matthew, Hunter McDaniel, and then we had Claire Lipurulo as our three artists um, 
for the night. All of them are extremely talented, were really great at connecting with the crowd, and just really created a a bubble of a magic moment for us. Do they have to be acoustic, or is that not necessarily a rule? So they don't have to be acoustic. We do prefer stripped-down performances uh, just because it's a smaller group of people. So usually that means smaller setting. Um, we don't want to you know, blow anyone's ears off. Um, but it doesn't have to be acoustic. It also doesn't have to necessarily be um, music put to song. It can be um, poetry. Um, it can be completely a cappella. Um, singing, uh, we take all kinds of different styles of performance to really create the night. Do the people, well, how do people find you? How does somebody get on a list? Do you get notified? Is it something you buy a ticket? Do you know who the person's going to be? Like, explain, like, if I'm a consumer and I'm interested, what is it? How does it work? Yeah, yeah. So if you are a uh, so far guest, then what that looks like for you is um, you go on to uh, the So Far Sounds website, look up Fort Myers, and you add yourself to the list for our next upcoming show. You purchase a ticket. Um, not the, knowing who the person will be. Not knowing it's who a blind the, ticket. Yeah, not knowing who the person will be, not knowing um, where the location is. Uh, you really go in knowing that you want to discover new music and that you want to kind of have that experience. Uh, we do put neighborhoods generally um, in the description of the show so you know whether you're going to have to you know, commute to Estero or be in downtown Fort Myers or whatever it happens to be. Um, but you, you buy the ticket really going on on faith in the experience. 36 hours beforehand, we send you the location so you know where you're going. And then when you show up the night of, you uh, get to experience uh, the artist and you find out who all is performing. And... The reason for that is it cuts down on some of that um, opener, headliner type of structure to shows. Um, a lot of folks, unfortunately, come to shows and, and just come for the headliner and they miss the opener. And that's how you miss your next favorite band, by uh, not getting to experience uh, that oftentimes local music that maybe is something you've never heard before and they're really on the climb and, and on the rise. Hmm. You looking for acts? Are you plugged into the local music scene? You said you've been here about a year, right? Yes, yes. So I am plugged-ish into the local music scene. Um, we have a very interesting dynamic in our in our local scene here. I'm finding um, oftentimes uh, there are small pockets of, of networks as opposed to one grand network. So I've been able to tap into a couple of those networks, but uh, I am – so open to connecting with more folks. Uh, I always tell people we can never have um, enough artists. Uh, so I am open to more local artists uh, reaching out and signing up um, and being able to showcase them in that space. Uh, what's really important to us is giving artists that space to really present their original music uh, as opposed to um, I think a lot of live music here happens in bars and restaurants where maybe it's a lot of covers and it isn't as much original music. So we want to really preserve that space. You have a local uh, favorite local venue yet for, for to see some music? So I hang out at Ollie's a lot, actually, on the Cape. Um, good spot in there, great people in there. Um, and I, I just kind of came in for their open mic one night and uh, – 
they kept welcoming me back. And so I'm going to have to say Ollie's is is my sp- favorite spot for now. Uh, Did you play a clarinet at the open mic? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you know, I, I might have been able to get through hot cross buns. I'd be a little little rusty. Um, but no, I'm, I'm a designated audience member. Always an attendee, never a performer. Do you have a peak concert experience from your life, something that you saw that was most memorable to you? So... I do have a peak experience. I don't know. Is it okay if it's not from a performance? Sure. Okay. So there are no rules. Oh well, there we go. Um, <laughs> rules are just a construct. Um, but uh, we, um, I went to Hell Omega tour um, a couple years back. Uh, and that was Green Day and Weezer, which I, I never seek Weezer out, but Weezer finds me. Um, it was Green Day, Weezer, and um, and Fall Out Boy. And my sister and I went because, again, that was just like the mecca of um, of musical experiences for someone who went through that pop punk phase. And um, you know, the show was the show was great. But the moment that really stuck out to me and really just kind of struck me to my core is with three big acts like that, it takes a little bit more time to transition the stage because everybody has a huge stage set up. So they're playing a lot of music between um, Fall Out Boy and um, uh, oh, my goodness, between Fall Out Boy and Green Day. They're playing a lot of music and uh, they played Bohemian Rhapsody, which um, you know, always a crowd pleaser, right? And everyone was singing along around the stadium. And that was a, a magical moment. Um, and then they turned off the music and everyone kept singing. Hmm. And the sense of connection and just the the warm fuzzies that that gave me in that moment was so deep. And was was such a special example of, you know, exactly what I love about being in those musical spaces. And see, that's why we don't have any rules, because that was a good <laughs> – I could picture that. That's the kind of thing that, yeah, this, the, the, the sum becomes a more than the parts kind mm-hmm. of thing. You know the collectiveness. I mean? The collectiveness. Yes. It's amazing. I love it when that stuff happens. Yes, absolutely. Uh, special moments. All right. Well, it's time for song number three. It's a name you just mentioned. Yes, yes. So tell us. So um, it's actually a perfect transition uh, talking about those special moments and and connection because uh, song number three I mentioned to you earlier, um, this is the one that I kind of changed recently. Um, We had our first So Far show last week, and um, all of our performers were were great. Um, Claire Lipperulo was our, our last up on stage, and... She was pretty much done with her set for all intents and purposes. You know, she was giving all of the signs of of being done. We do a 25-minute uh, set for each artist. So she knew her time was kind of up, and she was, um, you know, doing the rounds. Thank you to Blinking Owl Books. Thank you to Jasmine. Thank you to the other artists. Kind of doing those rounds, clearly winding down. And someone from the audience said, one more song. And it was so quiet, I didn't even hear it. Um, And she looked at me, Claire looked at me and said, can we do one more song? And I looked at Lucy, who uh, owns Blinking Owl Books, and I said, can we do one more song? And Lucy said, yeah. And so I turned to Claire and I said, yeah. And uh, she sang this song uh love is a circus 
um, which interestingly enough, I did not know was based on a real live couple she saw in Cape Coral. Um, and it's a funny song. So people were were laughing. Um, they were clapping. They were, you know, dancing along and swaying to the music and really just embracing that moment. And although it's a new memory, I know that's a memory that's really going to stick with me. You know, us in that little low light candle lit bookstore, all just enjoying the moment uh, with that music and Claire's absolutely beautiful voice kind of ringing out and raining down on us. Sometimes you can just feel it in the moment that it's a moment you're going to remember over and over. Exactly. Well, let's listen to it. Imagining that, this is Jasmine Hunter's third song this week on Three Song Stories. It's Love is a Circus by Claire Liparulo, episode number 71 guest, by the way, uh, from her album The Cost, released in 2023. Presumably it was just her and her guitar, though. It was Claire and her guitar, <laughs> yes, yes. Definitely a more pared-down version, but uh, I think um, hearing it today, you get to get a good sense for uh, the humor in the song. Absolutely. Um, and the the general message. Um, it's a good time. How did you find her for that gig? Were you already familiar with her music from Ollie's and stuff? So, interestingly enough, um, I was just looking up uh, local artists in Fort Myers. And um, there's not necessarily one centralized, like, board in a coffee shop that I can go to and find everyone. And uh, I happened upon someone whose whose handle was Claire and a guitar. And I was like, huh, I'm going to reach out. I'm just going to see. I'm going to reach out. And I ended up connecting with Claire. Uh, you mentioned she's a previous guest. Uh, I've heard her episode. Um, you know that she's uh, kind of great to talk to. And she's really a wealth of knowledge in uh, really music in this area. And uh, she's kind of uh, been one of the the many artists locally who's uh, taken me under her wing and really uh, tutored me through uh, what the music scene here looks like and, and kind of pointed me in the right direction. Sounds so. like a good tutor. Yeah. Um, do you guys record the gigs? Um, so yes and no. I have a personal recording, um, but we don't have um, a studio quality recording that's open for sharing. Just Understood. Yet. Okay, you you just document it, but yeah. But people do. Are attendees allowed to like record whatever they want and share? Because that's good for you. Yeah, yeah, they're allowed to record and share. Um, I do find both from the so far show that I attended, and then also from our show. I think a lot of the time people kind of forget about their phones. Yeah, it's like a listening room kind of experience. Exactly, exactly. So people are uh, welcome to record and take pictures and all all that great stuff. But um, I had to think about the balance between, you know, marketing our show and uh, really creating an experience. And I would much rather have just a really pure experience that 25 people got to be in the moment with and nobody else ever hears about. Uh, I'd prefer that to having everyone with phones out the entire time kind of capturing Yeah, that is a balance point. You almost want to make them lock their phones up. (laughs) But then again, you get more people to know about you. Yeah, yeah. Um, You ready for a speed round? Uh, Yes. Do you have a nickname that has stuck over the course of your life that you'd be willing to share? I do not. I wish my nickname DJ Jazzy J took off. It's not too late. I'm going to start pushing it. I could put that in parentheses when we post your episode. Oh, my goodness. Please don't. (laughs) When was the last time you bought music that had physical form? Oh, it's been so long. I am really embarrassed. Um, 
I think the last time I bought a physical CD, um, I think it was I bought Green Day Dookie. Um, now, that wasn't obviously when it originally came out. That was a couple of years back, um, probably 2018. Um, I just got a new car. My car still has a CD player in it. And I was like, you know what I need? I need a new CD. Um, so, yeah, it's been a little while. Do you do karaoke? So, uh, not well. But you'll do it. I'll do it. I have a joke for you then. Yes. Um, you know, people ask me if I could sing, and I'm like, yeah, sure, I can sing. I'm a, I'm a baritone. I sing so bad that people can hardly bear the tone. Oh. <laughs> That's what I'm going to um, start telling people. Yes, I'm going to steal that joke. You should have copyrighted it. That's a um, cat dad joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jared got a cat. He's really into his cat. <laughs> Uh, I've got a dad joke. <clears throat> if you were Eeyore in Pooh, are you Squidward in SpongeBob? He played clarinet, and he was kind of the Eeyore. You know, actually, sadly, now that I'm thinking about it, there are some parallels. <laughs> uh, I might be Squidward. Uh, there's a possibility. <laughs> I'm not sure that was a dad joke, but it was close enough. <laughs> um, if you were a championship wrestler, what music would you enter to? Ooh. Oh, um, I would enter to uh, The Hunter by Galantis. Mm. Um, and it is strictly wordplay. You know, the song goes, I am the hunter. My last name's Hunter. It just all seems to fit. What would your wrestler name be? Uh, Jazzy, whatever. What was it? Jazzy J. Yeah, I wish. Um it probably would be something like the cactus killer because I can't keep plant alive. Hmm. Um, Not even cactuses? Cacti? Oh, no. No. They're dead. All of them are dead. Hmm. There's a Batman villain called the Jazzman. Oh, so, I changed my Jasmine, answer. Jazzman? Yeah, I, I want to be the Jazzman. If you had to guess, what song would you say you've listened to the most times in your life? Um, ooh, The Suffering by Coheed and Cambria. Good answer. Um, what activities or pursuits make you lose track of time the most? Um, I watercolor, not well. Huh. And uh, I can get lost in that. Um, I also can get lost in reading. Reading is a, a big one because, you know, you you say you're going to read 10 pages and then you got to finish the chapter and then you got to finish the book. Is there a book that's been most impactful in your life or that you've read over and over? So this is probably sacrilegious to other readers. I actually don't reread books. Oh, that's not sacrilegious. I get it. Yeah. So um, no, I don't have a book that I have uh, consumed over and over and over again. Um, And I kind of like it that way. I think that I read the way that uh, some people watch TV. It's just like a little escape. Um, It's funny because you're reading, but I feel like my my brain's turned off for that time and I'm kind of in that other world. Um, song you wish you could hear again for the first time ever? Um, Peace of My Heart by Janis Joplin. Album you wish you could hear again all the way through for the first time? Ooh, I Am the Movie by Motion City Soundtrack. God, you're doing the speed round. Good. Most people like go off on tangents and stuff. I've heard Usually the, the show speed before. round is not You're ready. You're, you're like, <laughs> I need to come up with a question that we've never asked before. Um, my mom gave me this one the other day because she saw it on the Colbert show. Um, if you had to sum up how you hope the rest of your life will go in just five words, what would it be? Didn't think that one through, words. did you? 
It's the limitation it that's be... hard. See, mom, I pay attention. <laughs> well, so it's it's the it's that I can't count. Um, I hope I am happy. Good answer. Good answer. You even did that. See, you are good at the speed round. Um, any songs you'll avoid listening to? <sighs> so again, I've I've heard the show, and um, I don't know that I avoid this song. I knew you were going to ask the question. Um, and I did have a song in mind. I don't know that I avoid it. Um, but I definitely have a song that, that tugs on me, um, and definitely, uh, makes me feel the feels. Um, again, I don't really avoid it because grief is a, is a, is an emotion and emotions are good to feel. Um, and that song for me would probably be Two Ghosts, um, by Morning Crush. And not to be confused with Two Ghosts by Harry Styles. Um, And that song is about losing a friend. And the things that that friend misses um, after they've passed. And wishing that you could speak to them. And that song really tugs at me. Um, because actually almost, we're almost at at the one year anniversary here. I I lost a friend. Um, and unfortunately she, she succumbed to her, her struggle with mental health. And particularly over the last year, I've had a lot of experiences and new things I'm doing and things that are just very true to myself that I'm exploring. And at least every couple days, I just think, Ah, she would get it. I'd love to talk to her about this. She would get it. And um, that song kind of, it resonates with me. It brings me through. You know, one day we're just going to be two ghosts. Uh, I think the line in there goes, we'll be two ghosts uh, dancing in the rain. Hmm. Um, And one day that'll be us and I'll catch her up on everything. Hmm. What was your name? Dana Shramick, actually. Dana. Um. Since you already kind of know what I'm going to ask you, I'm going to shorten the way I ask it. Broadcast to all humans? Oh, uh, Electric Avenue. <laughs> um, 14-year-old self? Oh, no. <laughs> I feel like I've taken all the fun out of the game. Um, yeah, so my 14-year-old self would be probably, uh, uh, you know, I think all 14-year-olds are kind of embarrassed by just adults um so would probably uh be deeply embarrassed me by me but uh secretly proud Hmm. um that's what i'm gonna say was 14 still in montana or had you moved to dc i i was in dc by that point yeah okay um three people see i'm sticking with the short yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's a good bit (laughs) i love it um so my three people um I, i will tell you uh, I found out kind of late that I would be um, saying it on the air. I don't know how I how I missed that memo earlier. So I, I have talked to one of them, the other two. Surprise. Um, I think my, my first person would be um, Lucy Perkins Weggle. Um, she is the owner of Blinking Owl Books, that bookstore that hosted our uh, so far uh, last week. And... Uh, 
it's not just because she uh, hosted our event that I would recommend her. Quid pro quo. (laughs) (laughs) One hand washes the other. Um, That's like something that would happen on The Wire. (laughs) (laughs) You're just pulling me in. Um, So, uh, no, uh, really, Lucy is um, just offering something really great to this community. Um, I think she's the, the last indie bookstore in this area. And she's created just a really safe space that um, is so needed. And on top of that, she's got just an interesting life story. I feel like every time I talk to her, she drops another little nugget. And I'm like, when were you in Wyoming? And uh, uh, I selfishly want to hear her on your show so that I can get the full story. Sounds good to me. (laughs) Um, Second person uh, is Joseph Coleman. Uh, He is my brother-in-law. And he is just an impressive person to me in the first place. Uh, he's um, about my age and a very established lawyer. Hmm. I didn't realize that lawyers had like a certain age where they suddenly hit success. Um, but being a very successful lawyer in your mid-30s is a-, a big deal. And we're very proud of him. He's, you know, highly decorated. And um, on top of that... While he was pre-law and in law school, he was in the marching band. And uh, he went to FAMU and FSU. And so not only was he in the marching band, he was in, like, good marching bands. And uh, I am am curious to to hear his take on things. Is um, he local? He is local. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. Yeah. Um, and he still uh, picks up his, um, his trumpet every once in a while. Um, he's... Rustier than he used to be, but he usually carols around the holidays. Um, and the the practice that goes into that is much to my sister's chagrin. Okay. <laughs> and, and number three? Oh, my third person. Yeah. So I would choose Hunter McDaniel. Um, he was one of our artists from our show. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, there was definitely another Hunter here somewhere. Yes, that yes, was him. Okay. Yes. Um, so Hunter McDaniel, he was an artist from um, our show. And he has a really heavy jazz influence. And it's really cool what he's doing. I feel like you don't hear it all the time in current, just kind of popular music. Um, He goes crazy on the keyboard. He has really just strong thoughtfulness in his lyrics. And um, again, selfishly, I just want to hear Hunter's story. Sounds good to me. You've done it. You got any final thoughts you want to leave us with? No, I think that's it. I want to really thank you for having me. Um, Like I said, I am a big uh, fangirl of the show. So this is me living a dream. And uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. No problem. And good luck with So Far Sounds. I love the idea. Thank you. This week's Parting Tune, we're leaping back in time one year to episode number 254 guest, Laura Ellis. Laura is director of podcasts and special projects at Louisville Public Media. Her third song was one she recorded herself on the day after the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando. It was the first time I can remember experiencing, like, hearing about people who were killed because they were like me. And so... (laughs) How do you grapple with that? I mean, again, that's a privilege to have not experienced that before because I'm white. But to hear that a whole group of people were targeted in a space that for queer people is is akin to church, right? It's akin to a sacred space. And so just to have that violated 
it was a lot to grapple with. And so um, some of our local LGBTQ leaders really quickly put together a vigil on this walking bridge that we have um, across the Ohio River. So Louisville is across the river from a couple of smaller cities in Indiana. Um, and their LGBTQ groups were newer because they're smaller over there. Um, and they put together a vigil and we all marched from our opposite sides, um, you know, holding candles. Everyone was crying. I mean, it was just, it was just like a, a moment. It felt momentous. Um, and we got to the middle of this bridge and we met up with their group from the other side and we stopped and there's an LGBTQ singing group called Voices of Kentuckiana that were in the middle and they started to sing the song. And it's just, it's one of those moments in my life I will never, ever, ever forget. That's what this tape is. We make three song stories in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer. Tara Calligan is host and online content producer. Our production assistant is Jared Gonzalez. Christophus is executive producer. And our theme song was made by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. Keep listening.